What's up, everybody? It is time for Twig 217, and I am back. I'm alive. Ethan is back from the grave or from paternity leave. How's it been without me? Good? Good? Wait, you were gone? I was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, that was the audience's response, too, I bet. <laughs> Just It's all shits and giggles, dude. Nice. Phil, welcome. Good to meet you. Welcome you to the crew. Can't get rid of me. I'm still here. Still standing. Uh, Literally, in this case. <laughs> so we have to actually announce that Phil is joining us per- temporarily, permanently uh, on the podcast until he screws Probationary up. Probationary period? Yeah, until we, we screws up and we kick him out. Um, no, actually, he's, he's going to be a regular guest, you know, taking over for Adam's shoes and, and being a little bit more saucy about it. Um, Adam, I talked to him yesterday and he approves of the change. So therefore he is in and, uh, and we are good to go. Um, moving forward. Uh, we are trying to get Eric Seifert in, but for some reason he's having technical problems because he is a imbecile, but, um, (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. There he is. Speak of the devil. There he is. Test, test. Can you hear me? Test, test, test. I missed it. Thank God. All right. What the hell? Okay. Thank you. Sorry for dealing with that. Wow, your head looks huge. Um, I got a big head. <laughs> all right. What else we got? That's it. Uh, well, uh, just a quick, uh, I know that we've got, uh, has the Istanbul event been teased properly to the audience oh, while every, I was gone? Every day. 8th, 9th, yeah. and 10th, right? The 9th is the big day. Istanbul. Be there. Be square. I am doing this keynote because Eric is uh, bailing on us. I'm out. I have to, I have to bail. Well... Uh, I won't be there, um, but if, like me, you won't be in Istanbul, but you will be at GDC, there will be some uh, Deconstructor fun content at GDC. I'm doing a live spotlight interview as part of the uh, program with uh, Joe Franks, the CEO of GameFam. He's going to talk about um, Roblox economics, so that's going to be really exciting because they're the top Roblox publisher. Um, so it'll be interesting to know what it's like running a business uh, on Roblox. And there will probably be a Deconstructor of Fun party as well uh, at GDC. I don't want to jinx it, so I don't want to share too many details. But Seifert, if you remember when we talked about uh, the need for like a dry party to counter program at, uh, at yeah. GDC, someone uh, took me up on that and we're pretty close. So Okay, um, I, don't, I don't think I said dry. I, I think I said the emphasis didn't need to be on alcohol. Well, <laughs> we, we have a party where the emphasis is not on alcohol and we've got some other fun stuff. So I'm just uh, going to tease that. But uh, GDC yeah. uh, will be fun. And I hope uh, uh, if you aren't making it out to Istanbul to uh, meet you there. Yeah, I'll be there as well, of course, because I am in San Francisco. Um, any other updates? Or are we going to move on to the news? Let's do it. I have a quick update. Um, so I've been watching The Last of Us still. It's still a great TV show. Um, and the only thing I want to call out was there was an article in, I think it was uh, Game Informer, citing that the TV show has boosted the sales of the game by, there was a spike of 238% week-on-week sales of The Last of Us Part 1. <laughs> Eric is shaking his head. His head. Um, 
and the PS4 version of the game, Last of Us Remastered, re-entered the charts with a 322% sales spike. I had a quick peek just to see, like, okay, is this is this just Last of Us, or was this other was this for other kind of games to tel- to television series as well? It happened with The Witcher when it launched on Netflix. I don't have numbers on that, but I did look it up. Um, and there seems to have been an uptick of the main of use of the main characters in League of Legends when um, Arcane. Uh, was out was was out, which is actually also a very good show, and I think that this made me initially think of so one of the things that Candy Crush does and that I, they do well among other games is they stay relevant by trying different things, um, whether it's partnerships with Netflix or Candy Crush hasn't done this, but whether it's tar- partnerships with anyone or any kind of mark marketing campaign that's kind of new and different and i and i think that when done well it can really help anyway cyberpunk i remember bringing up cyberpunk had a sales and usage spike when edge runners came out and uh, i believe Cress called it uh, mice nuts <laughs> by the way it didn't even register in the charts it was ridiculous it was absolutely ridiculous and so percentages are stupid first of all but percentages are just dangerous right it could gone from 100 copies to 322 copies who gives a fuck right? Like it's nothing. It's fucking nothing. Right now. I'm not saying that this is not good for the franchise. Laura's point is well taken, right? Like the fact is they're supporting the franchise with new shit, you know, in different media. That's always good because it makes it more popular the next time it comes out. But the bump in sales that they're going to get is going to be super temporary and very small. They were number 32 and number 20 on the charts. That is fucking mice nuts. Okay. It's really small. And this is the UK. Dude, the UK is tiny. Tiny, tiny. So, just just one uh, one sort of data point along these lines. Uh, I was reading through the Netflix earnings, uh, which which were uh, the print was last week, and they said that so Stranger Things four and Wednesday were the big uh, like sort of tentpole releases uh, last year, and um, Stranger Things four pushed. Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, which is a 37-year-old song to number one on the Billboard chart. So that, that kind of stuff that actually does work, like the, those, those uh, crossover integrations. They can work. I think the question is, does it become famous because TikTok made it viral? Because yeah, that's right. that. I mean, right now, to me, the, the line is blurred, especially when it comes to music, wherever it comes from. Is TikTok making it famous or is the original, um, oh, the original media came from making it famous? You made me listen to that song, Eric. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a good song. Oh my song. lord! Oh my god! I just almost like I, my ears are burning. Okay. <laughs> I'm running up that hill. I'm running <laughs> oh up that hill. That's terrible. I didn't know the song you were talking about. Oh you did. I thought I you were going to say I didn't know you could sing so day. horribly. Thanks, Eric. That's going to stay with me all fucking day. Okay. What else? Small other update. Kind of sad news. Um, Microsoft has called their entire team behind their VR workspace project uh, this past this past week, um, and as a result, I think their alt space VR will shutter for good in March, effectively ending Microsoft's metaverse efforts with it. They did announce earlier this year, so in March of, of 2022, that they're still. I think they're still working on Microsoft Mesh. My understanding is that they're two different departments, so they're still working on a form of hollow portation that is focused more on letting teams work together in a VR setting. Um, But the reason I bring this up is purely selfish that um, 
Apple is still working on their AR VR glasses. <laughs> and I am, I, one, I hope that this team, that team needs to recruit. There's some great people that they can help because I want that prediction to be correct. So that next time we do next year, I'm wearing them and Eric Kress, I'm going to be sitting there and you're going to be like, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> what are you talking about? You wrote this. The thing is that you wrote this, uh, this uh, title. Apple AR VR glasses for the win. I did. I that's like, not I that's the, through. That's not what the title was. It's not the title. Sorry, that was my. Okay. I'm saying that's for the win. Apple's right. still still in the lead. Well, no. I think they're still in the lead. <laughs> you don't think we'll be? You don't think we'll be recording live in Horizon Worlds next year? No, we won't. Apple. God, Worlds. I hope not. No fucking way, dude. This is this is actually more proof that I'm right, right? That they're like, dude, do you know how many gajillions of dollars that Microsoft spent on Hololens? All those like like the the demos of of Minecraft and like the prototypes, the selling the. I mean, dude, they. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars just fucking evaporated, you know, in one night. But because this is a shitty market, it doesn't even make sense. And so this is proof that. No matter who comes out with whatever and how much money they're spending on it, it can't be. It's not going to be successful anytime soon. And again, based on my client, you know, ten years from now I might be wrong, but for the next ten years, this market is dead. It's it's dying already. All right. I mean, there's there, I think there's one. I think there, there's a, there's a kind of a devil's advocate argument here, though, that like Microsoft could have been expected to do that, just given the shift in strategy towards developing for other people's platforms and not building their own hardware. Um, and so they had they did partner up with Meta. Remember, Meta had the big press. They they did the big announcement a couple months ago, and like Satya was there, and they have a partner. Microsoft's got a partnership, and they're going to build on Meta's platform. So that could just be part of like, hey, you know what? Like every big tech company, we took on way too much during COVID. We built out these uh, initiatives that are non-core and we're going to just drop all of them and focus on like the core strategic uh, thread. So I, I think you could interpret it that way and not yeah, as like a no. repudiation of metaverse. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I, no, I didn't say I said VR. I'm not talking about metaverse. I, what I would say is that they, they want to control the platform and giving that up is a huge, huge loss for them, right? To give up the reins to Facebook. I don't even know if that makes sense. I'll be honest, but whatever. Anyway, it's just, it's just more indication that this model is not working, right? There's just not as not enough consumer interest to, to drive adoption, to drive the market. It's like, you know, everyone's like chicken and egg. It's not chicken and egg. It's just, it's just not a value prop and it's not interesting to the customer right now. And so it's, it's over. Right. And again, the only reason that exists is because Facebook is spending gajillions of dollars building it, right? Like without that kind of support, this thing would have been, just been gone. You know, anyway, whatever. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games.
Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them, they know their data. Head to appsflyer.com benchmarks now for more info. Uh, the next update is that um, Nettie's in a uh, absolute, like, you know, fuck you to uh, Blizzard. Basically destroyed this absolutely massive statue of uh, World of Warcraft in a symbolic gesture of, you know, kiss kiss my butt type thing. Um, and the head of partnerships at uh, NetEase, this is all obviously based upon the fact that they did not renew the license with NetEase for uh, World of Warcraft hosting in China. But the uh, I actually met Simon at one point, but Simon um, put on social media, he's the uh, head of partnerships at NetEase. One day... When what has happened behind the scenes can be told, developers and gamers will have a whole new level of understanding of how much damage a jerk can make. <laughs> and if I were dollars to donuts, if I were guessing who he is talking about, I would imagine it is the CFO of Activision Blizzard, Mr. I don't even, I'm not even going to say his name, but everyone knows it because I've been saying it for a gajillion times. This guy is not a nice person. But anyway, um, well, I was actually right and wrong about this uh, issue. I thought they would come to some resolution and get this thing fixed because it doesn't make sense to give up such a huge game in that market, right? Um, for both both players, frankly, both teams. But clearly that is not happening. Uh, but what I was right about it, it is basically because the CFO of Activision is likely being super petty and, and it being a jerk, according to Simon Zhu. So that was confirmed. Um, but this is a huge loss uh, to the consumer and 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 to you know West even Western content in Asia to some degree because it's one of the only success stories out there. So it's a little bit more sadder than that. But uh, but anyway, Armin, if you're listening, uh, you know, pull it together, dude. <laughs> Let's just like do what's best for the customer and best for the franchise, the best for the IP, and not is what the pettiness that you probably are are are, are dealing with these uh, these folks. Uh, Does this mean comments? Diablo Immortal gets pulled, or is this just focused on the PC franchises? Well, this is only related to the PC franchises. They said specifically in the press release that this has nothing to do with Immortal. That was a separate agreement. But look, I, anyone with any common sense would think, well, if NetEase is this pissed off about Blizzard and Armin, right, then you think they're going to be supporting Diablo Immortal like to the best of their abilities? I think not. You know, I think it's going to be a real challenge for them going forward. And I think it's something that they need. They don't have the resources, as far as I understand it, at Blizzard to support Diablo Immortal. So it's going to be a challenge for them going forward, I would think. Um, 
Oh, I didn't even write anything about this, but the founders <laughs> of Jam City City left, uh, which is uh, just another, you know, another story in the in the saga that is well, Jam City. They I don't know what the hell. It, it reads uh, like they. Yeah, I think it's different. Go ahead. Uh, they spun out their Web three studio and game, Champions Immortal or uh, Champions Eternal, whatever it is. Um, right. In as part of a new company that is doing all the buzzwords it's ai social network and web3 gaming together it sounds like i don't so it's it's an interesting spin out i wonder if um they real i mean i i wonder if they realized since i know they've been trying to spack or take it public that like there's a little too much risk inherent in having uh, a web3 studio as part of your business just with the lead this is pure conjecture sorry I, I wonder oh, if that's yeah. part of the spin out, like making Jam City more possible to get to one of these exit points by removing this kind of regulatory risk. Mm. Oh, uh, I would have a complete opposite view on that. <laughs> but like, I, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash on Jam City, but I think like I, I don't even know if they know what they're doing right now at this point. I think it's really, it's a really challenging mm-hmm. situation that they're in as a company, but. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So more of the founders so said, the, these are all the, the founder, shiny new toys. Let's do something the, the new. The founder that's leaving is going to this 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 spin up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's a total spin up. I don't I don't know though. Do you know what the ownership structure looks like? I don't know how much because they raised outside money, right? So it's not like a fully owned subsidiary, right? They raised they raised money from from investors. Um, but yeah, my sense is there's still like a pretty tight connection. I, it's not like they left and just started a totally new company that was unrelated. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tracking it. We'll, 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 I'll get to the bottom of it because it's still somewhat relevant. All right. Next. All right. Next. So, so I just wanted to, you know, while I've been on paternity leave and trying to um, not pay attention too much to the tech world, a lot has gone on and a lot of layoffs, you know, in, in the gaming and tech world, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Riot, Unity, and a ton of others. Gaming media, lots of layoffs, Washington Post, GameSpot, Giant Bomb, Vox Media, IGN. I'm probably missing more. Um, and I'm sure this isn't the end. A lot of people are tightening their belts and preparing for a recession. And I'm sure like me, everyone's LinkedIn feed is filled with game devs who are uh, affected by layoffs and looking for work. So just want to say, you know, our hearts go out to everyone being affected. I've, I've been laid off before. It, it sucks. Um, if you're on the hunt and you're an experienced game dev, I highly suggest you join the Deconstructor of Fun Slack, which you can apply to on our website. There's a jobs panel, uh, uh, a jobs channel where people post free jobs. So if you've got openings, you can post it in the Slack. If you are recently laid off and listening to this and not already part, join the Slack community. You know, we're all here to help our fellow game devs out. Do, so um, do, do were there any details in the riot layoffs? Like what teams they were laid off from? What projects? I don't think so. Oh, Phil? I, I believe it was e- esports and recruiting. Uh, so basically non, oh. non-revenue generating cost center based mm-hmm. functions of riot. Um, I was sad to see that Shannon Liao was laid off from the Washington Post. I really, she covers video games for the Washington Post. I, I always enjoyed her coverage. I hope she lands somewhere quickly uh, so I can continue to consume it. But um, yeah, I guess that beat just wasn't considered, you know, whatever strategic 
to Washington Post. Got it. And uh, uh, one more quick news story. I, I read this. Eric, does this one sound familiar to you? Scenario raises six million ahead of AI-powered art engine early access. Yeah. So, um, what? Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. The yeah. the one who invested in it, not the one who's yeah. never heard. Of it. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I invested in in scenario. Um, I actually got in on like the sort of early friends and family round that they did, and the demand was so intense that they closed that and did like or they 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 uh, routed the extra demand into like a separate. Um, a separate system. Uh, I'm being vague here because I don't want to give away too many details. But anyway, I was I was early to invest in this, and uh, and and just really excited about the prospect and and um, and the team and and the vision. I think um, my my kind of thesis here is like what I would see generative AI as being valuable for is not um, is probably not like. Uh, uh, you know, a consistent stream of new assets for something like LiveOps. Not now, at least. Maybe at some point it gets there. But what I think it helps teams do is get to an MVP and get to market quicker to test, right? And so if you can cut down that MVP stage, that early development stage, by basically getting all of your artwork generated very quickly instead of having like one artist uh, be totally uh, backlogged with art requests for just getting an MVP, to customers, you could probably get like two to three shots on goal with a pre-seed with a pre-seed round versus one shot on goal, right? And so, if you get just like three x the number of attempts to build something to test product market fit, to test you know the retention metrics, and to then you know take that into like a full development cycle, um, that not only lets you preserve that pre-seed uh, you know round, but I think it also is just going to help a lot more companies ultimately be successful and deliver products that people want. Versus basically having like one shot at producing even an MVP um, and just, you know, uh, shuttering the company if that single uh, MVP doesn't work out. So I'm, I'm really excited to see people uh, start using these tools. And Scenario looks great. I mean, what's cool about Emmanuel, he's been building in public. So his Twitter feed shows all of the spec stuff that they've been building with it. And it looks awesome. I mean, it really looks high quality, um, you know, sort of like, you know, you know, you know just just high high production value uh, quality um, artwork. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see people start using it. The beta, the, the beta wait list was something like thousands of people. Um, so there's, there's obviously that's, a, good, that's, that's there's a huge I, appetite, huge <laughs> appetite for this. I, I've been playing with uh, all the different available tools, uh, chat GPT, mid journey, stable diffusion, doing different projects. And I'm actually building a game right now where all the art and writing is either concepted or done by AI kind of as a, a training and to show the limitations. And I can just say yeah. like, no, these tools are not coming for your job this week. Um, but they are a lot of fun. I've experienced a lot of joy in using them and it's brought a lot of joy like to the creative process. Um, it's just a lot of fun. A scenario looks awesome. Uh, if you can hook me up with that beta access, bump me to the front of the line, that'd be fun. But if not, I'll be checking out Leonardo AI next. Um, you got it, man. You got it. I guess my question around this is why you would find a smaller firm would win at this versus a larger firm like the incumbents like Google. When I think about neural networks, the reason that they end up being the model of choice for a lot of these 
models is that they scale really well with more observations. So you hit diminishing returns sure. pretty far out when you increase the number of observations. So when I think about that fact, and I think about players who already have a crap ton of data, I mean, Google has been scraping the web for years. Isn't it just a matter of time before Google starts to fill all these niches that these tools are starting to emerge to fill because they just have a larger data war chest? Yeah, okay. So the, the, the data is not necessarily the limiting factor, right? Because, I, I mean, I think that's that's the big question right now with whether Google is under threat uh, on search from ChatGPT. Well, Google has access to the data, but so does everybody else through Google, right? And, and, and the fact is, like, Google has to do the work to rank the data via the page rank algorithm and actually like make sense of it. No one else has to do that work. They can just sort of free ride on, on Google's output, right? Um, which is problematic. Uh, but but I think, you know, with, with so there's two things, right? One is, I think people vastly underestimate the amount of effort it takes to start with like a stable diffusion and get to something like a scenario, right? You actually have to train that with 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 game assets and you have to understand what assets actually need to be like specific art files right like it, like if a layman looks at a game they might think oh this is just one big picture right they don't understand there's actually models for every specific object in the frame that all need to be created in a bespoke way they need to be skinned with bespoke artwork right um and so it takes like domain expertise just in gaming to even get to the point where you can train a model to become like very sort of game specific and now this might not work for uh, generating like really cool looking paintings, right? And you, you see that if you just load up Stable Diffusion on your laptop, which I've done, and you feed it uh, prompts, it looks crappy, it looks terrible. It does not, the, 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 the specify, you know, the sort of like the, the trained uh, tools with specific use cases look way better, right? And if you wanna make like a sort of, uh, uh, you know, like a, 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 a painting of yourself that looks like it was painted by a Renaissance painter, like you need to specifically train that model on all Renaissance paintings and not just paintings broadly, right? And that's effort. Um, and so I think there is a moat that you can build here with these tools. Um, and, you know, the second thing I would say is like, well, Google and Facebook, they have these tools. Why aren't they consumer facing? Because the bar for releasing something consumers uh, for a Google or Facebook is so much higher, right? And it's got to be monetizable and commercializable, right? That's why OpenAI beat them to this, right? OpenAI, the ChatGPT had 10 million users within something like 40 days. Right. Why were they able to do that? Obviously, Facebook and Google have these tools and they're better. Google has said that its chat GPT variant is better than chat GPT by OpenAI. But why wouldn't it release it to the public? Because if it's a Google product, it's got to meet the Google sort of standard of quality and they don't want to do it yet. Right. And also, do they want to chase this opportunity? Like maybe a scenario becomes a $10 billion company. Is that something that Google would really want to chase down and prioritize uh, developing versus any other opportunity, given the opportunity yeah. cost? I don't, I don't know, right? So that, I mean, that's the age-old question of why startup versus Google. I, I think so there's, if we were to think about there's like a fallacy of the big guy's going to come in and crush the little guy. And like, you know, I've been at EA when we were like, oh, we're the big guy and we're going to come in and crush all these little guys on Facebook, right? We've got the resources, we've got the game makers. And what happens, you know, this isn't just from my one experience, but at many, many that I've heard of that, like it, it, a big corporation, uh, it might have all the resources in the world, but is it going to dedicate them to this problem that it's trying to tackle at the speed and with the efficiency that a, uh, uh, organization that exists only to do that will. So like, Google may have access to all the data in the world it needs. Is it going to field a team to specialize to form a specialized AI to form game assets? 
right? Um, probably the fight for engineers to do that is not going to pan out on the side of the, you know, a game asset engine from Google, right? So, because they so have many other competing priorities. Th- that and makes so sense. That's why you're able to get there faster and more skilled with the bespoke engine, uh, bespoke company that's just trying to solve the one problem because generating assets that can be used inside of game engines is complex. Yeah. That makes it's sense to me. Just making a 2D image. You can't. That makes sense to me. But doesn't that suggest that Epic is really the person or the company that's best positioned to take advantage of this? And especially in a post, you know, chat GDP world, I look at their prior acquisitions. Tim has been buying a lot of art assets. He's been buying, I think it was ArtStation. It feels like he's building his own war chest. Why aren't they the best well, ones positioned to win at they, gaming they, for this? I mean, they they might be but they might have their priority set on making Unreal Engine the best engine it can be and making more assets available on the asset store so that indie developers can get further faster with less money. You know, like Epic Epic is probably in the middle ground where it might be the right person to tackle this problem or it might be too big because, you know, when Fortnite and Unreal Engine are making crazy amounts of money is this the thing that they're going to invest in the the resources the engineering resources and product resources are limited at, at every organization and you know when there's when there's a fight over assets it it can mean that it's really or when there's a fight over resources it can be really difficult to build um something new and innovative and risky inside of a an organization with a lot but of at needs. the end of the day, if, if anyone builds something that co- is going to compete against Epic's ability to create the metaverse or whatever they're working on next, they're just going to buy them. Yeah. Right? So exactly. I mean, so this company, this company, you think this company stays independent if they're successful? F- no, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, that's oh, really the reason. <laughs> the reason to to build and super scale one of these companies is to be acquired by Epic. That's what investors like right. Eric are looking for. And so. And so your 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 example your example on Facebook games was actually somewhat incorrect because they were one of the major players in that space was bought by EA, right? And no, I know it was we. And they, and I they was a parallel and they, effort, and they burned and, it to the ground, right? And then uh, Facebook burned everybody to the ground. But like the point is, is that they got into the space by doing an acquisition, the, and they were right. like the number two player in like in overnight, you know? Right. But I I was. I was there in one of the other parallel competing efforts, and we could not get, no, you know, great right. attention from the corporation. That That's what I'm well trying taken. to highlight. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So they had no, to, and and imagine they bought, you know, imagine that Epic bought scenario, but they kept an independent team also doing different AI generation. Like weird things happen in big political organizations that you know startups right. can have advantages over. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. 
It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Excel acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. Okay, moving on to the headlines. Um, I think the biggest news this week was this this uh, uh, unsolicited, not hostile, unsolicited bid uh, by Playtica for uh, Rovio, right? So obviously everyone knows Rovio from Angry Birds. They were one of the OGs in mobile gaming. Um, and they offered them $9, no, 9 euros a share, uh, roughly around, I think, 800 million euro, 810 million euro. For the company, and so this is kind of the the, the press release and the uh, the coverage was, um, you know, offering nine dollars a share, sixty sixty percent, fifty five to sixty percent premium to the closing price, and it was an all cash offer, which is important to understand, by the way. Um, it was an unsolicited offer, meaning it was not previously presented to the Rovio board. Now, what we don't know is if another bid was given to the board and they rejected it, and then they put this bid out, which was a different bid even though it's the same company, if that makes sense. Um, they announced this publicly at the same time they sent this to the Rovio board is what it said. Uh, again, the offer is all cash and it's sub subject to completion of due diligence and approval from the board of Rovio. Um, the board of Rovio is evaluating the proposal and may or may not proceed. So, okay. So this is my world for like three or four years when I was a, a wee, wee lad. Um, and so there's, this is not being covered very well, to be honest, because this is not a hostile transaction, meaning like they're not going after, you know, shareholders and whatever else, but this is unsolicited, meaning they did not negotiate this deal with Rovio. They are basically just throwing this bid out there in, in the hope to convince them to do so publicly, right? So this is, this is kind of 
there's a word for it and I'm totally blanking on it, but they're, they're trying to force them to accept this deal to some degree because they could not come to an agreement on, on this transaction. Um, so again, they are offering this to the public and to the board and, and it's a, it's a deal that Rovio, uh, ultimately could not take. Um, if they don't take this deal, then we could go hostile, right? In which they actually go after shareholders and try to build a, a group of shareholders that will, will, will take the company over. Um, however, <laughs> this is the same issue with Ubisoft, right? Like these European countries, a lot of these European companies are like this. It's really closely held by the family, right? So 40% of the ownership is from the family of, of, of Rovio. And so without their consent, it's almost impossible to get a deal like this done. And so the, I think that's what Platika was up against when they went, when they did this unsolicited bid. Um, and I am not sure this asset is worth enough for Platika to go hostile and deal with that, that nonsense. And particularly because of the, because the chances are pretty slow, small. Um, so why does this make sense? Um, and anybody, any comments on that? Anybody that you, that am I, am so, I missing so just, just to make sure I understand it, they're making this public offer to make that. So what it was like twice the price at the time of the announcement. So like they're making this big, generous public offer to try and make it impossible to refuse. That's kind of the game. This is, sounds like a proposal in a very public place surrounded by family, but you have not discussed getting married first. This is some Bridgerton. This is some Bridgerton action right here. All this right. actually was a plot point in Bridgerton. <laughs> it's a good analogy. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're fiercely independent, is what I've been under, my understanding uh, from the from the. Uh, well, so just I think it's important. Yeah. So a lot of times you can weigh the probabilities of these things going through by just looking at the stock reaction. Right. So the stock is up about 50 percent, but it's settled down today at like 718. Right. And their offer was 905. So there's basically like a two euro gap. Right. So I, it's like it's basically it's sitting at like the midpoint between where it was and what and what Platika has offered, <laughs> which kind of yeah. makes you think, OK, people are basically on the fence as to whether this will go through. Yeah. Basically, that's that's an indication that it's not going through. So the only reason that it has a little bit of a, a premium right now is that because this offer is out there, there could be other companies that come by and offer more, right? So this is this is all the the, mar, the M&A merge arbitrage people going freaking apeshit over this company. It's like, you know, so they're, they're like really, really smart people that are just like trading and trading this, this thing and trying to figure out like what the angle is. Um, and so I'm sure I'm going to get some calls. But this actually company is so small that there's not a lot of big arms that would be all that interested. But there are still. Um, but you're right. There this does not look like it's a deal that's going to happen based upon the stock price where it's at. Similar to the Activision stuff, to be honest, but uh, that's a whole other thing. All right. So why does this make sense for Platika? So, and the reason that this is important is because this is part of the whole strategy that I've been talking about. Is like, as we get into more IDFA deprecation, as we, as we suffer through the Apple mobile game recession, um, these are the type of assets that you're going to want. Right, because Angry Birds is probably one of the biggest assets or biggest IPs in in mobile gaming. Period. Right. End of sentence. You know, besides like Supercell and uh, Supercell's IP as well as uh, King's IP, Candy Crush. You know, like this is one of the bigger ones. Um, and I, I, there's been a lot of criticism of management of Rovio over the years about how they have kind of squandered their IPs in the space, and they haven't really had a success in terms of monetization. 
um, and 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 expanding or moving with the market in terms of you know how to make money in the space. Having said that, Angry Birds Two and, and Dream Blast are actually doing quite well on a monetization perspective, uh, which is basically you know up their game over the last couple of years. But at this point, revenue is kind of flatlined, right? There's no real growth. I don't see much of a pipeline. I could be I could be incorrect on that, but I I just don't see it. Um, and the stock is also flatlined. Um, and so at a nine hundred million dollar value, euro valuation, they were offered. I mean, there were there were rumors that they were going to get sold for two and a half to three billion at one time. Like Zynga had a complete hard on for this company uh, for a while there, but they said no, right? And this is. Part of it at the time was the fact that these guys were like rock stars, right? They, they, they were like going to like royal weddings and like dressing up as angry birds in like in these royal settings. Like they were like these, you know, like larger than life type people. And they, they were one and fiercely independent. And I feel, for me, it seems like they still are that way. I don't know. Um, but this kind of what my my verse, my personal opinion is they should take the money and run. Right. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to manage themselves out of this. In, you know, given given the, where we are in mobile, like this is an opportunity for them to actually cash out. Like if I was a shareholder, I would definitely want this. Take the money and run. Um, but uh, but again, I think this would be the best out- outcome for the shareholders, but not likely for the family. Right. So, you know, how can you pay generations of, of your family insane amounts of salaries? Right. You know, uh, if you don't own the company. Right. Impossible. Right. Um so why this doesn't make sense, uh, again, it comes down whether a family wants to give up uh, the company. And what I've heard that like likely that's not going to happen. Um, and then the other thing that I would say the why it doesn't make sense is that the culture of these companies seem complete freaking opposites from my perspective. Anybody have any sense on this? Like Platika is like super hardcore, like super smart, like really, really business oriented. Rovio seems like more like a family, like let's like, you know, kumbaya stuff. I mean, is that true? Anyone have any well, that, that's, on that? that's that that's the kind of read on on the ground in Helsinki generally because remember, Platika bought uh, seriously, yeah, and right. that just didn't that just didn't work, right? So they ended up basically laying off everyone on the seriously team and bringing the best fiends development in house. I think Platika acquired another Helsinki studio too, and it, it just like the 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 cultures were just like a mismatch. It didn't uh, it it didn't work out at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, yeah, the culture just seems, yeah, I don't know. It seems like a tough one. But I, I guess my, my biggest question to the panel, just in general, um, is like, do you think Platika can actually leverage these IPs and, and bring stuff to market that would, you know, really kind of accelerate the growth? You know, because, again, they've been flatlined for a couple of years now. Do you think they, they got the chops to get this done? Like, well, they, they've been totally flatlined. I mean, so their revenue has actually been pretty stable. And I think they, you know, and, and I'll speak generally here about like companies with big casual portfolios, but like they've actually weathered this reasonably well, right? So if you look at Rovio's rep, so first of all, it's EBIT's been very stable, right? So like the whole, dude, the when EBIT's, Rovio it's went- It's the lowest, dude, it's the lowest margin in the business, dude. It's like 13% or something ridiculously low. But go ahead, continue, sorry. Well, anyways, but the, but the, revenue, the revenue has actually been growing. So like on Q3, it was up- almost 10% year over year. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it right now. I'm literally looking at it. To jump back, uh, Eric, to your, the second, sorry, to just, it was Reworks. It was the Redecor game that was based in Finland that Kritika acquired. Yeah, but but just to to counter that 
weird reflective reflexive no i'm looking at it right now it's uh hold on it was up 8.4 percent in q3 year over year so it's up i mean they're up they've, they've weathered this pretty well so i mean i think if you have if you're a platica and you have a cat a, a, a portfolio that is skewed heavily towards uh uh social casino you'd want to expand into stuff that's a little bit more stable on the casual side. So I think that that impulse makes sense. The the, the fact that Playtico wants to do an acquisition like this makes sense. As to Rovio, I have no comment. I, okay, so from my okay, from the Playtica side, I think this makes sense. They clearly want to expand into casual puzzle. Um the they not just from their proposal here to Rovio, but also they've been making investments into smaller gaming companies that are starting that are that have casual puzzle experience that are now making casual puzzle games. So I think that there is, I don't think it's up for debate that, that this is the expansion they want to do. I mean, if you look at the market, there's not the market in terms of publishers. It's also, I, I don't know who else I would buy. I mean, it, it, to me, it, it if they want expands, they need people. They need games. They need. They want the experience. Um, they can. I think they attempted. They were at one point. They had. They had started individual smaller studios trying to build build it within Playtica. I think some of those have been disbanded. Um, so now, what do you do? You, they're not going to stop trying to expand into that market. I mean. Rovio has their their games. I mean, their financials, I think, year over year are declining a little bit, but the games are still making money. And um, I go into a little bit of this that, as you said, this Rovio has been around. It's one of the original gaming companies. I think they opened in 2003. Um, and I talk a, a little bit about something I've read about this is that they must have a wealth of information. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they had data warehouses set up as early as when they started, but imagine having almost 20, 20 years of casual puzzle data to work with, and then to almost 20 years of just production experience making games. Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't know if they're thinking that way, but that's how I would be thinking. Um, I, I would be wanting to see, I would be wanting to see if I could leverage any of that if I was, if I wanted to make a claim and be like, I, I want to hit the ground running making with games in the casual puzzle space certainly going to be faster than recruiting so from the playtica side i understand it all right you're definitely right eric they have been growing over the last few quarters oh, i love to hear that <laughs> i'm gonna make that my phone's ringtone yeah the stock has definitely been flatlined but the uh the revenue growth is there even well, the, yeah, e but... even the ebit growth is there which is a little bit surprised. Yeah, eh, no, it's but not. That, so, so no, part of what happened was they 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 were spending to grow, right? And their margins are again the lowest, some of the lowest in the business, and 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 the, the Wall Street just fucking hated it, you know. But the last couple quarters have been a little bit better. Well, no, so. but but you, so like you have to keep in mind too, they're listed on the Helsinki Stock Exchange, right? So you've got the I think the majority of the holders are so you got a family, which I think is something yeah, like you're something like forty percent, but then it's all like pension funds and insurance companies in Finland. And like, right, so it's, right. it's very concentrated ownership. So there's yeah. just not a lot of turnover. And like, unless you have like, so what's going to cause people to go nuts and buy the stock? Um, it's going to be like some explosive new growth area, which, well, what is that? A new, a new brand that takes off? Um, Cause all the games are coming out and they're like being, you know, sort of marginally additive, but they're not like blowout success hits. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and actually I, I'm going to just 
ad lib here a little bit because now I'm thinking about this a little bit. This is not a great outcome for Rovio, honestly. I mean, I love the Platika guys. I think they're really smart, but ultimately, I, I think it would destroy the company, right? If they were to acquire them, you know, they would just basically take the IP and 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 run with it. <laughs> so yeah. I I just don't think that Rovio is going to make this let this happen. Like I think they know that. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll keep following it. But like, there was no very, very little response from Rovio at all, right? Uh, we haven't seen an official response, or at least I haven't seen the, it yet. The so Golden Eagle hasn't landed yet. It's still on its way to the target. They usually have a few <laughs> weeks to like respond. Um, but uh, but we'll, we, we will see. So let me, let me, let me make one more point. So, so there, it's, it's public. It's it's publicly known that there was a previous offer. Yes, they they, they increased this. This is a second offer, right? So there was a okay. previous offer. So it was, they seem kind of committed. It was fifty euro cents more. I can't remember what the euro cents are called, but fifty euro cents more. It was uh, their second euro offer. Cent. It's just euro cents. <laughs> euro cents. Yeah, and all cash. I mean, the, 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 these guys have like a billion dollars on the cap balance sheet, right? So like, an all cash deal is actually pretty rich for Platika, generally speaking. Like that's that's an interesting move rather than doing some stock um yeah but again i think the chances of this happening are very little low if i were to guess uh but i will be happy to be wrong on this one to some degree oh but my, my original point philip i'm gonna ask you specifically do is it possible to take a game like a ip forget a game an ip like angry birds put it in a different genre or a casual or something and add like insane monetization to it and, 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 and make a go of it. Like, do you think that's a, like a reasonable strategy for Platika if they were to acquire that IP? You know, I, I don't see the play here. Like when I think about the Angry Birds brand, I really think about demographics and I really think about younger kids. So, you know, you walk into a Target, there are Angry Birds shirts everywhere. And so I find it hard to imagine that a company does social casino is going to find a demographic that matches where they've been previously. And, you know, on that point, you know, we talk about Rovio's growth or decline. It seems like they're losing ground in this demo to Fortnite, to even Supercell is starting to win over a, a bunch of younger kids. I mean, I walk around, you know, Stockholm and I see a lot of kids playing Brawl Stars. And so I actually wonder how Playtika is thinking about this demo. So I would say, no, I, I wouldn't do it on an LTV basis. I think I'd start to get into Seifert's territory and I'd start to think about CPIs. And, you know, maybe I have a spreadsheet that says if I slap on an Angry Birds IP on a slot machine game, you know, I can see some lower CPIs and just hold LTV constant. But that's the best argument I can make for this one. Really? It's, it's still puzzling Good. to me. Rovio? That doesn't justify this at all, then. Yeah. Like, that's and, not well, enough. Wait, but Rovio if you think about released- the... If you think about all of the games that Playtique is looking at, Casual Puzzle, though, I would argue that Wooga's games do have overlap with the uh, market for Robio's games. So, sure, I don't, I don't, you're, you're right. I think you're entirely right. They're not going to be able to compete for players for, for things like uh, Fortnite. That, but if they wanted to, if they want to find other ways to either cross promote or expand that way, then I think there, there would be overlap there. There, there have been many different Angry Bird games in different mid-core g- genres. Like there have been multiple Angry Bird RPG attempts. There was a five-on-five arena shooter on the sea. I want to say like they've tried Angry Birds in like every genre, and I don't think any of them have um, really popped other than their Toon Blast one. Oh, I love Angry Birds slot machines idea yeah. though. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's the most. No, no, well, that makes sense. I mean that's obvious, but like it's like I don't. That's not enough to drive shit, right? right know, we got to move on. I would, I would say, what if it's what it's if it's game. a UA play right, to maybe. drive players to high performing Wuga games, right? What if it's a top of the funnel for Wuga because the Wuga acquisition was that doesn't work. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It, it, you can't do cross promotion like that. The, the key to cross promotion is having. A portfolio with sub portfolios that are aggregated around uh, a, a specific mechanic. So you can cross promote puzzle to puzzle. You can't cross promote puzzle to social casino. It just doesn't work. Right. So that's why I'm saying Angry Birds to Wooga's games to the you know June's Journey and whatever else from the Wooga portfolio has been performing well for Playtika. Yeah, but so, but yes, okay, fine, but but those are those are hidden objects. They're like old. They're aimed at older women. I don't. I don't know that there'd be a decent conversion from puzzle to hidden object. Got it. All right. Are we good on on the Rovio topic oh, for Eric, today? Need... Sorry, we have to move on. I have to okay. actually have a hard stop. So let's. Okay, so I want to I want to try and bring a spicy topic for my return to the podcast, and this isn't inspired by any news piece, just a end of year financial review of the Ethan Levy portfolio. But my question for today is, why have gaming spacs been such a disaster? Um, and you know, this isn't as I said, this isn't from any any news, and I'm not comment. I just want to talk. I don't want to talk about the quality of the companies or or. You know, I'm not trying to comment on the people or the games or the products here. I'm just purely looking at stock performance. Uh, there were a bunch of game industry SPACs in 21 and 22, and I bought into a bunch of them. And uh, I just wanted to paint a picture of how it's gone because it hasn't been pretty. So Iron Source SPAC uh, in June of 21, it merged with Unity in 20, November 22, and uh, my rate of return from buying in pretty close, like on the IP or on the SPAC date was negative 65%. Uh, Nexters did a SPAC in August 21. They were delisted. So that's negative 100%. Skills, a SPAC in December of 20. I'm down 97% on skills. You bought skills? <laughs> Dude, I was on the podcast screaming about how that tech company was terrible. Why would you buy that thing? Okay. Continue. I well, th- these were all very. Sm- I'm I'm talking rate of return. Like these are small investments, and I my uh my strategy is to make a small investment, just let it ride for 20 years, and you know if it goes to zero, it goes to zero. That's fine. But some of them pay off enough to offset the rest. But uh, so Nexter's delisted, skills down 97 percent. Play Studios did a spec in June of 21, also down 65 percent. Uh, phase clan which which we've <laughs> talked about on the podcast before that one is the one i didn't buy into but that's down about 90 percent from its july spac last year and then roblox isn't a spac it's a direct listing but roblox is down about 50 percent from their um listing price so you know clearly i caught spac fever uh i wasn't a very smart investor and, you know, my question for the panel is sort of like, why, why have these stocks all performed so poorly? And is it, um, was SPAC just a way for companies to get onto the markets without the sort of disclosures that would have prevented, you know, like would have uh, discouraged the level of investment? Like, is it because of the companies? Is it because of the nature of SPACs? Or am I just an idiot and a bad investor? Uh, uh, what's going on here? I mean, we know I'm an idiot. 
but am I also a bad investor? Yeah, yeah um, obviously. <laughs> I mean, what, what, is that a question? Well, I mean, the, the reality of what you're talking about is that the companies that you're talking about were not good companies in some ways. You know, like like your 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 decision to invest in a company is your your decision, right? So it's mm-hmm. like it's on you to do research on why skills and play studios next or don't make sense, right? So so that's not the SPAC's problem. That's your problem, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that first off. But from the from the process perspective, I what's so funny is I was just talking to someone yesterday about SPACs, like a, a SPAC that's happening right now. And so I, I reached out to him to ask him this question that you were that you were posing. And um and and the fundamental thing that matters on this stuff is that the IPO process has been set up with diligence, oversight from investment banks and and lawyers and and accountants and all this stuff in order to make sure that everyone is represented and warranted and all this other stuff. And this 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 process has been going on for decades, right? Um and, and so have SPACs to some degree in a much lesser degree. But in a speculative environment, the way we saw, SPACs became far more popular because it was much faster and easier to get companies out there. And that's not a good thing, right? Faster and easier doesn't necessarily be good. Having said all that, even with all these bankers and lawyers and accountants, IPOs over the same time period have performed equally, almost equally as bad as SPACs. So it's not like the IPO process was any better. It was just the nature of the the speculative bubble that we were in for the last few yeah. years, in which companies right. that should not go public were going public, of which I said a gajillion times on the podcast that these companies have no business going public, right? Um, but more specifically, if you really want to know why SPACs in general are, are, are a challenge, is that part of the IPO process is you get coverage from, from investment banks, which keeps the interest in the companies alive because they talk to investors periodically, meet, introduce the company to many investors, and and that helps people get interested in the stock. SPACs do not have that kind of requirements or they do not provide that kind of service to to the companies that they're bringing public are not as good as someone like Goldman Sachs or, you know, Morgan Stanley. That's one smaller thing. The other thing is that this is the big one. This is this is a bigger one. Is that the types of investors that get involved in SPACs are not like T. Rowe Price or Fidelity or Cap Group or these big institutions that buy and hold long term, which is you want a stable like holdings of of, a, of big investors to keep your stock, you know, uh, afloat. Um, it's more speculative investors that specifically geared towards SPACs, so they're basically in and out of the stock constantly based upon you know what they're what they're doing. That's not the type of investor you want to be flipping stocks all the time. Um, but the biggest thing, and the reason that a lot of people got caught on these is that um, the sales documents for these SPACs were not really well scrutinized. They were allowed to do insane long-term forecasts that IPOs do not generally do or don't, don't do at all. The IPO process requires investment banks to do the forecast, not, not uh, the companies. And so many of these SPACs, if not all of them, I actually would really want to know if any of them actually hit the targets that they set in their sales documents, because certainly, you know, like Nexters and Skills and I'm sure Phase, I don't know what's going on with Phase, but they didn't hit any of these earnings revenue targets that they set aside in the thing. So 
they just set themselves up for failure, right? And 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 that would not generally occur in a traditional IPO process, although it does. Um, so, but I guess for me overall, this was one of the biggest signs of the speculation bubble um, in the in the investment industry, right? Um, and also a sign that the bubble was supposed to burst when things like Phase Clan goes public. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous, you know. I mean, that's insane, <laughs> obscene, you know. Um, and and then. This has only been overshadowed by like the complete absolute mat mania around NFTs, you know, where like bored apes are selling for a gajillion dollars. I mean, I mean, what else could go wrong? You know, like, I mean, what do you what do you think is going to happen when these type of things are happening? Right. And so, I, again, this is just all part of that whole, um, you know, craze and bubble bursting. Just, just one. So you're talking about the filing docs and I remembered the skills doc being particularly egregious. So I just pulled it up and they were using like 2022 estimated earnings in 2019. They went public and uh, would be this back in 2019. They were using 2020. They were projecting out 2022 estimated earnings on like this outrageous growth curve. So they were at like 110 ish, maybe 105 ish of revenue in 2019. And they projected out 555 million in 2022 Right, and so that they were, they were, they were, they anchored all of their revenue estimates on the, or all their revenue projections on the 2022 estimates, like not on the current revenue growth, but on the on the on the growth on the 2022 estimate. <laughs> right, that's where everything was anchored to. It's obscene. Got it. But no. but one thing I would say is, is Ethan, it's not. I mean, I wouldn't just, um, I wouldn't just highlight the poor performance of the gaming specs. Specs broadly did poorly i mean right. SPACs as like a group did very very poorly it wasn't just the gaming subcategory that did poorly but again to reiterate the ipos that did it the traditional way did not perform that also, much better yeah. right so, right, so it's yeah. like it was again just a, a sign of the times um yeah uh, where you know we just had this long-term bull market and everyone's just there's lots more complexity around it people are chasing returns they're chasing you know alpha and 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 all these things kind of happen, you know, in order to like, you know, feed that feed that need. Um, and so, it, it's a challenging environment for anybody uh, yeah. on the investment side. Is there like an Ethan Levy ETF that I can short sell? Is that something <laughs> we can think about? Uh, we'll some, we'll set a, that wise up. Wise investment. Yeah. <laughs> the Scott Galloway of gaming. Sorry, that made yeah. stick. Oof. Oof. All right. Well, I missed you all. It was great to see your lovely faces. And, uh, <laughs> all right. So you're going to be back on the regular, dude. So we'll see you next week. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we'll try and keep it to four. So with, uh, Phil here, I'll, 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 because I'm doing the spotlight interviews and stuff, I'll probably be more of backup host. But honestly, with four people, there's almost always someone out each week anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we'll see. All right. Cool. All right. Everyone have a good see rest of the week. Bye. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.